If you want to help a veteran, find a veteran, bring that veteran in your organization and help them be successful. In our latest episode, we have the pleasure of talking to J.B. Spizo, a retired Army Ranger with 26 years in the service. We discuss where his life has taken him since, including working with professional players and teams in the NHL, business leadership, and writing his own book. This episode is filled with knowledge and incredible stories from J.B. Real stories, real heroes, for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. JB, what's going on, man? Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. It was uh, great being connected from you and uh, your assistant and just hearing about your story. And I know Dan and I are thrilled to have you on our podcast. Gentlemen, thanks so much. Uh, Bo, great to speak to you. Dan, Rangers lead the way. Glad to be on your podcast. <laughs> All the way. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, we, we've, this is interesting because this is the first podcast we've done that's not interviewing a veteran who's in the book. Yeah. And we're really excited about this one because, um, I have no idea. Like, I feel like we're still tiny and we're growing and we're trying to figure it out. So the fact that, uh, you know, you guys reached out to us and, and we're interested in joining us on the podcast, honestly, I'm just honored. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, I'm on honored to be beyond here you know uh, i got some great young men uh, helping me out uh, ryan carmichael nick hale and uh you know they're always grinding out there and uh nick said to me hey this is this might be a great podcast for you to you to be on and share some of your stories as a veteran and entrepreneur and then uh you know we we spoke so yeah here we go i'm, I'm ready awesome well uh you know, like I said, Bo and I did a did a little bit of research, found out a little bit about you, and I'm incredibly excited about <laughs> your background. Not only are you a ranger or served, you know, uh, ten years as a ranger, um, but served an extensive career, twenty six years, and then got involved in leadership in the NHL. And I kind of want to know, you know, how how did that happen? Have you always been interested in ice hockey, or or was it something that kind of you fell into? Well, that's great. So, I mean, I grew up playing hockey. I wasn't very good, but, you know, I played all the way through high school. And uh, actually, my son uh, played all the way through college, uh, played four years at Nazareth College, went to prep school, played four years at Nazareth College. And now he's the hockey director at Westchester Skating Academy. I was invo involved with the hockey program at uh, West Point with Army Hockey. Uh, the uh, Rileys gave me an opportunity to be a officer representative. I also coached youth hockey. So kind mm -hmm. of just uh, fell into play. And then next, next thing, you know, the New York Rangers came to West point for uh, their camp before the season. And uh, one thing led to another and me and a bunch of the guys got together and uh, ran them through a team building exercise. You know, I, I say, uh, you know, I say, uh, you know, jokingly, but, um, you know, how, how we didn't kill anybody that night. I have no idea, which is a great thing because, you know, they, you know, they don't like it when professional athletes are, are hurt. <laughs> so, uh, and it, and it just turned out to be, you know, a great event. And, uh, Glenn Sather, who's the president, who was the president and general manager of the New York Rangers, he's in the hockey hall of fame. Um, he invited me to dinner at New York city and said, Hey, you know, you're pretty good at this. 
And, uh, you know, I looked at him a little strangely, like I was like, pretty good at what? He's like, this leadership, I see how people look at you. He goes, you have a lot that you can impart on on people when when you're done uh, being in the military. And uh, he goes, you should do this. And that's kind of how it was. And I started in 2005 part time and then I retired 2010. Uh, as, as you said, a sergeant major is very, very fortunate to uh, to to be in a company of heroes and then hung up my guns, never went back to them. And, you know, just started plugging away at this leadership, culture development, mental toughness uh, type of entrepreneurship, helping athletes, business people, um, yeah, you, you know, just regular Americans trying to be better in, yeah. the, in the leadership space. So, yeah, that's. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you, you said you played a, a little bit of hockey growing up where, whereabouts was that? Oh, that's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania right there. So <laughs> oh, not too far you from know. here. Nope. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, Pittsburgh's a hockey hotbed now, yeah. obviously, you know, Mario, Mario, Mario Lemieux started it. And then, uh, you know, Sidney Crosby can continued it on and, uh, it's a, it's a hockey hotbed. A lot of, a lot of good young players going to college pro, uh, but you know, uh, you know, I always talk about, you know, when I work with athletes or college athletes and I have a, I have a call with a, you know, a college football team this week, uh, it, it, you know, the, the sport isn't the success, it's the vehicle to the success. Mm-hmm, yep. And so, um, you know, sure. Some of these uh, men and women will play their game professionally and, you know, make money at it. And that's a wonderful thing, but they will all be a professional at something. And I think if that's kind of the attitude you take into life, uh, same thing in the military, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I went in at 18 years old to pay for my college, to have the college fund. And next thing you know, I'm <laughs> going through <laughs> Ranger indoctrination program. It was called back then. So, uh, Dan, you could see how old I am. Mm-hmm. So, cause you know, <laughs> it's called, it's called, uh, you know, rasp now, but back then when it was called rip, um, you know, I, I had no idea what I was getting in for. And, um, you know, you just kind of, I, I thought I'd be in the army for four years, uh, go to college, coach hockey and baseball and, you know, teach, teach high school history. That was kind of my thought process. And, you know, 26 years later, it worked out for me as a fortunate to obviously be in the Ranger regiment, be a drill instructor, work at the United States military Academy at West point officer candidate school. So, uh, you know, I, I was honored to be a part of, part of the service that's incredible and, and to kind of even go back was the army something that you've always had an interest in joining then you know i think i um you know my father was a world war ii veteran um you know that generation didn't didn't talk a lot about it uh but i thought i wanted to serve uh, again i wanted to um you know i wanted to you know pay for my own college kind of have that um you know, I thought college was uh, at some point in my life. And, you know, obviously, you know, through the military, I completed my college and uh, good to go there. But it was just something, um, you, you know, my father always talked about like service to the nation, service to the nation. And so, you know, I felt like it was, uh, you know, something I should something I should do. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting, too, because you said you initially had that idea of just serving, you know, four years and getting some college uh, after military service. What do you think, like, was the the cruxes for you to continue to reenlist and, and wanting to continue to serve? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll 
you know, the army's great, but you know, I was spoiled because I was, I was in the ranger regiment mm -hmm. and, you know, in the ranger regiment. Yeah. It's tough as nails. It's hard every single day. Like you're grinding it. Like, and you have to, you have to make sure that you uh, did enough today to, ha you know, have a job tomorrow, but it's also, uh, you know, probably the one, one of the most loyal organizations and where, where people are there to help you. And I, and I just felt like, um, you, you know, the Ranger Regiment, you know, helped, helped set me up for success. It, 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 you know, it pushed me, uh, like no other, but, you know, I was promoted quickly. You know, I was a sergeant in two years. I was a staff sergeant in, in four years. I was a sergeant first class in seven years. You know, uh, I went to some wonderful schools, met some wonderful people, and then I was able able to give back, you know, to to the army, to West Point, to other things, and so, um, you know, I think um, uh, I think if I wouldn't have had that, um, you know, that type of of unit, you know, family, but disciplined, regimented, tough, uh, you know, it it, it it was great. I don't I don't know if I would have if I would have made it a career if if I wasn't in the Ranger Regiment at such a young age. Mm -hmm. Now, was that something you enlisted with? Did you have an option 40 contract or did you yeah. like initially? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it was called something, it was called something else back then. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I enlisted for it. It's funny because, um, I, I think it's back now, uh, but b back in that time, you know, 19, that was 1984. Uh, you could, you could enlist, uh, for the Ranger Regiment or you could enlist, uh, for special forces, they were taking, you know, what they called SF babies and then, mm -hmm. they, and then they went away from it. And, and it might be back now. I think it is. Yep. Uh, but the only thing that was open available for me in special forces was, uh, to be in, in combo communications. And I, I, I like didn't know, I, you know, I didn't know anything about that. You, you guys have to, it's, you know, you have to just think back, like <laughs> I'm at the, I'm at the recruiting office and there's some, you know, there's some, you know, E seven tanker, and he's talking to me about the army. It's you had nothing. You couldn't Google search anything. There was no, um, uh, you know, there was no prep courses, anything else. I mean, I think uh, a friend of mine, Jason Sweet, he runs this uh, SOCOM athlete now. And mm. basically, you know, he's a he's a former PJ. Basically, he just takes these, you know, young men and women that want to go into special operations. and He runs them through this, you know you know, six week, three month, uh, you know, 12 week course. And, and they kind of get a, they kind of get an idea of what they're getting into. I had no idea. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I, you're just throwing I, into it. I had no, I had no, you know, basic training, you shut your mouth and you go along and get along. Then you go to airborne school and you're like, okay, that's not too bad. And then all of a sudden you show up to rip. And, uh, I, I want to tell you, and, and Dan, you'll, uh, you know, you'll appreciate this one. Uh, the, the, uh, Cat senior cadre came out. The, he was probably an E6 or E7. He stood on this like uh, little porch. We're all standing in formation. And he said, I don't care if any of you make it. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I believed him. And, uh, you know, then it began. It, uh, so, you know, fortunately I, I made it, made it through there and, and then showed up and had a, um, had a phenomenal uh, squad leader. I write about him in my book, warrior leadership. Steps to successful leaders on the ground. Oh, by the way, I sent mailed both of you a book. So oh, that's awesome. Books on the way to you. Yeah. And a phenomenal squad leader who, um, uh, guy by the name of Hugh Roberts, who, who ended up actually being the Ranger Regimental Sergeant Major later on in his career. Oh, wow. But, uh, 
he was a staff sergeant. He was a grenader invader, which means he, you know, he jumped in a, in a, in a grenade in 1983. And so he was kind of a legend. And, um, fortunately, you know, he was great. He, he, he looked out for us and, uh, worked us hard, uh, you know, and, and there you have it. Hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, uh, mentality and, and rip has not gone away or it didn't, at least when I went through, I think, uh, I got the same message on day one was like, I don't want any of you to make it to regiment. <laughs> you all should quit now. And that was like the message throughout the entire experience is just, just quit, just give up. Yeah. It's okay. The door's right there. It's yeah. crazy how much they yeah. ingrain that into you. Like I've watched even just YouTube videos on, you know, rip or rasp or whatever now. And and you see these guys where there's just constantly in your face. Like I can tell you're tired. I can tell you when I go home, just give up. Like I won't yeah. be mad at you. You can go ahead and give up. And it's like a psychological <laughs> trick. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, now that I'm in, you know, this business I, I'm in, you know, you have to be a lot of military people that, you know, do what I do and they're with sports teams and they, you know, they try to reselect, reselect, uh, uh, you know, uh, athletes and sports teams. And it doesn't really work that way because this is how you have to think of it. And, 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 you know, you both can attest. So, so for example, if you're going to rip or buds or any of the SFAS, you know, they, you know, they look and say, okay, we can, we can, uh, we can house and feed 150 people. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's start with three. So let's start with 300 and then, you know, we'll just, we'll just kick the shit out of them <laughs> for a week until we get to 150. Now, now the thing is, is that the, some of the 150 that didn't make it or, or, or quit or resigned or whatever they wanted to do, they might've actually been more talented than the, than the people that remain. But, mm -hmm. you know, in the military, look, we can teach somebody to shoot. We can teach somebody to navigate. We can teach somebody to swim. We can teach somebody to parachute, you know, so, so you're, so you're looking for these other intangibles, but in pro sports, you know, you're, you're you're signing a young man or, or woman because they're talented mm -hmm. and can help you win. So then what you have to do is you have to figure out how that fits in your mold. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's a, you know, I always try to tell um, professional sports teams. Um, I'm not a rite of passage guy. I never liked it. I never liked it when I was in the military, you know, cherries do this, you guys do this. You don't have a tab, whatever, uh, you know, and I, I, I try to always downplay that a bit because I think the sooner somebody passes selection and the sooner you can, you can get them up to speed. Like you need their gun in the fight. Same thing in, in sports. Like, sure. Maybe a rookie's not going to pick, pick his or her locker, but if that, if that young man or woman can help you win, the sooner you get them spun up into the, into the fold, the better off it is. And, and I think you see, you know, if you look at professional sports, you see a shift a little bit, you know, not, not a lot, but you can see a little bit, right. It's, it's going a little bit younger, healthier, that sort of thing. Some of it's for, because of sheer contracts, but, uh, you know, anyway. Yeah. You know, that's interesting too. And, and to your point, like, I feel like once you get to the professional athlete or even the collegiate athlete level, you know, you've you've more or less already kind of completed a form of selection to get there. I mean, you've had to go through so much just to get to that point of being the best you can be to be on that team. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine, like you said, a lot of people who try and do the leadership coaching and things like that in the industry, um, if you try and repeat kind of what selection is, it, it could go over like cold water. 
Whereas, you know, cause they've already been selected. So now it's, all right, how do you, how do you teach the more, you know, attributable, attributable, um, skills and, 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 mm-hmm. and, um, and things to think about as far as being a leader on the team or teaching grit or teaching, you know, uh, uh, how to compete as a team, that type of, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it is, you know, it's inclusion. Um, and you know, again, some of the people, the former military people that do this, I mean, they probably mean well by it, but you can't, you know, you can't go out and, you know, you can't, can't get somebody hurt and, you know, and, and, but you, you want to test their met their, their metal. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, and there are ways, there are ways to do that. And you do that through like inclusive, you know, exercises, but you always, you, like you, you both know this, right? Like, you know, team chemistry, um, uh, you know, from in, in any organization, whether you're a business, whether you're a sports team, you know, team, team chemistry, you know, the leader of the organization, uh, the CEO, the, the SVP, the general manager of a team, the head coach, you know, they're, they're responsible to ensure that chemistry is healthy. Um, that it's, that it's, that it's done, done the correct way. It's healthy chemistry, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the people inside that room in that office, those cubicles, the locker room, the team room, it's their responsibility to forge that chemistry with one another. Um, and yeah. I think that's also important. And I try to remind business people of that athletes of that, like it's your, it's your job to, to do that. Like, you know, it's your job as a mate, you see somebody come in and, you know, the kid's wearing the same clothes he wore the night before and hasn't shaved. And you should be like, Hey, what's going on with you? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, but I think a lot of times, whether it's in business or sports, we're like, well, you know, I got to take care of myself. Right. Because, uh, you know, cause I'm still grinding, but it's also part of that. If at the end of the day, why should, why should you be a team? Well, it should be a team because you win, (laughs) right? Everybody, everybody, Everybody wants a winner. Winners get jobs. Winners get hired. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's, that's an important message for people. Do you think that more sports teams from your experience, and this may be a pretty easy question, but do you think more teams care more about teamwork or do you think there's a lot of players that kind of more focus on themselves and what they bring to that team? Well, I think, I think teams are made up of both. Um, and you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I saw it, I saw it firsthand. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a tradition in a lot of team sports at the end of the season. You know, the the players, uh, you know, the captain decides whatever that select amount is, and they mm-hmm. and they gather up, they gather up money, and they and they tip the equipment managers and the trainers and the, and you know these people that have been you know, literally slugging it out the entire time, you know, when, mm-hmm. you know, when you go on a road trip and I've been on, you know, you know, hundreds of road trips to teams, you know, we go and, you know, I, I get to go sleep, you know, sleep in a nice hotel room in a five-star hotel, but the equipment guys, you know, they're at the rink, uh, you know, hanging equipment, drying equipment, washing stuff yeah. like uh, constant. And, and I saw a player refuse to tip. He's like, no, they're just doing their job. I'm not going to tip. And actually another player, you know, you know, put in the money for him. So I, I, that's just one instance, but I think there's a little bit of both. There's a little bit of both of saying, you know, I have to take care of myself because this is what I do and it's my livelihood. And I, and I a hundred percent get that. Um, but I also think that 
there are only few opportunities to be a champion. There's not that many opportunities and they're, and they're hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so when you have that opportunity to be a champion, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta all in grind and, um, you gotta, you gotta check your ego at the door. Um, you know, I think that's one great thing about being in the Rangers and being in the military, you know, and, you know, we went to combat on patrols, whatever, like it was, we're all in this together. Of course, you know, the risk factor is, is greater because, you know, you want to live and come home and you bring your teamwork teammates home. And, and, and so it's, that's part of it, but, but it's all part of that of, of, you know, how do I, how do I want to help others? What, what, what am I going to do for that? So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I actually had no idea they would do that, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, the team's tipping the equipment managers and, and uh, sure. everybody else that basically is support staff for the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea that would happen. That's I, I very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's, uh, y- y- you know, I, I know, I know it's done in, I know it's done in hockey. I'm sure it's done in, in, in other sports. And uh, I got to tell you, like, you, you know, the, the life of those, those guys and gals that do that, like it is nonstop, no sleep. They're the first at the rink. They're the last ones to leave. You know, I mean, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you're in, you know, you're in, you're in Edmonton, uh, you're in Edmonton, Alberta, you know, and it's like minus 20 degrees outside <laughs> and there's, you know, three equipment guys loading the plane with the bags, right? <laughs> Everybody they, they, else is, you, they, you know, they nice definitely deserve board. it. So, then. Yeah. yeah. And what's, what's interesting, it's, it, it's cool because I actually, I remember, um, during the playoffs this year, they did a little piece on showing all the equipment managers and everybody else behind the scenes. And I remember watching it and because they didn't leave, they were in a bubble, you know, during the playoffs. And I think they were on sure. in three stadiums, but they're all in the same city or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly right, but Regardless, yeah. they were all right there, and they said it was more hectic because those games were back to back, and they had to shuffle with other equipment managers to make sure that they could get their team's gear in and washed, and then prepped for the next game because they Jeez. were they were like back to back to back to back games, and they just didn't have enough laundry and like support and everything else to get the gear together. And they were saying it was actually more hectic than normal like uh, travel games and things like that. So. It's it's cool to hear, I guess, uh, yeah, just how chaotic that is. Mm-hmm. No, they do they do they do an amazing they do an amazing job, and uh, you know the Pittsburgh Penguins equipment manager, you know he's he's got uh, what four Stanley Cups now, one in Tampa and three in Pittsburgh. His name's Dana Hines, and um, one year they were doing, uh, you know, they do like a Veterans Day jersey that they wear um, that they wear for warmups, and then they raffle them off and. And so, uh, you know, he, he wanted to do something a little bit different. He wanted to like represent like military units. He wanted to put like ranks on them. And so like we did this whole thing and it was great. You know, we tried to represent, uh, as many military units as we could, um, like Sidney Crosby, the captain, we put captain's bars on, uh, you know, the assistant captain who was like the team first sergeant, they put first sergeant stripes on the uniform. Um, and it was just like a, such a cool thing and the players loved it. Uh, and the other thing we did was, you, you know, whatever unit patch we had, you know, we, we, we printed like the lineage, the history of that unit. So, uh, you know, whoever the player could like see, like he was wearing the patch of the 
82nd Airborne Division. The 82nd Airborne Division was comprised in this year, you know, went to these battles, that sort of thing. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, you'll find that um, uh, I found that, you know, a lot of professional athletes, uh, you know, are, are, are so veteran supportive. Um, mm-hmm. One, because they, they do a high risk job too. They really do. It's a high, it's a high risk job. They can get hurt anytime. And, um, you know, they have a lot of the same qualities that, that, that you're looking for <laughs> in the military teamwork, um, you know, selfless service, uh, you know, want to support each other. And, and it's something that they've always wanted to do. So, yeah, I want to go back to, and if it's possible, um, JB, I would love to hear about what were some of the moments that you could share during your time deploying to Haiti and Panama? Uh, well, I mean, you know, Panama was, uh, you know, it was my first, you know, combat action there. Um, I was with mm-hmm. the Ranger regiment and, uh, you know, we, uh, we jumped, jumped into Panama, uh, combat jump. That was at 465 feet, uh, AGL. We flew, uh, we flew in a C one thirty for about, uh, eight and a half hours fully oh, rigged geez. up because, Ugh. because we flew out of Fort, we flew out of Fort Benning and we flew around Cuba. So, so you can imagine that. So, you know, by time <laughs> combat came, we were just saying, get us the hell out of yeah, this no airplane. Kidding. Right? I'll take the bullets. Just get and, me out of here. Like just get us out of this airplane. And, uh, I, you know, I remember I exited the airplane and I was like, uh, wow, we are we are pretty low and you know, and I, and I, and I've been a jump master already. I've been a free fall jump master. I've been pathfinder school. So, you know, I, I've exited air, aircraft a couple hundred times already, but now it's the first time in combat. And, and I just remember saying, you know, seeing tracer rounds going both ways. And I was like, okay, it's game on here. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's for real. Um, so, it, you know, um, I just, uh, I just remember, you know, I was a staff sergeant. I was like, all right. Uh, I was in charge of, you know, setting up, establishing the assembly area, uh, for, uh, regimental HQ. And, and it felt like it took me forever to get there, mm-hmm. <laughs> make my way across. And, uh, when I got there, finally, well, I was like the second person there, but I was just like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I don't want to be the last guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know how it was for you, Dan, but you know, we, we had the first sergeant that, you know, used to love to make you buy beer for every little mistake he could, he could oh, figure yes. out. So, so. Yeah, there was uh, a, it yeah. was, if you made a mistake or if it was your first time doing something, it was a case of beer. Case every time. Of beer, right. So. Yeah. Jeez. So <laughs> yeah. I wonder, so then, is, is that yeah, kind of so, like, um, is, is that typically like Panama uh, before we jump into Haiti? Is that more kind of like urban warfare or is it more kind of like jungle compared to like Middle East? It's way different. Well, yeah, you know, it's a combination of it because it was an airfield. It was Rio Hato. It was a military airstrip. So mm-hmm. it was an airfield seizure plus, uh, you know, the surrounding area was all all jungle. So you had a little mm-hmm. bit of the combination of both. Okay. Um, so, you, you know, it was, um, it, yeah, it was definitely, um, it was, it was, look, you, you put, you put your skills to action and, uh, you, you know, I was, um, that's the first time that I was like, wow, all this muscle memory, all this training, you know, like really works. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and, um, you know, that was, that was, that was good. And plus uh, there were such, such good, uh, you know, you were fighting with such good men there. Mm-hmm. That was great. Yeah. And then, you know, Haiti, what Haiti was the, 
you know, they called it the Haitian vacation because, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, we were on the USS, uh, America, which was, a you know, a, a aircraft carrier. They took the fighter wing off and that's the first time they put on uh, special operations wing, uh, task force 160, you know, so there we were just, uh, you know, we were only like, you know, what, two miles from, from the target. And, and, uh, you know, we were, we, we, you know, we trained, 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 trained. And then, you know, at the last minute that, you know, that got, that got next and we just continued to just do, you know, uh, uh, training flights. That would have been a, that would have been a good one. And then, uh, you know, 2008, you know, I go to Afghanistan for a year and I'm a Sergeant major, uh, which was, you know, the first time I really worked with, uh, like coalition units that I haven't worked with though. First thing it was obviously the Afghan national army, but, yeah. uh, my team. Yeah. So, so the team I was on, uh, my boss was a Lieutenant Colonel and then, you know, all of our guys got farmed out somewhere else. And, um, you know, so we had, uh, six Americans, five Romanians and five, five, five Poles, five Polish. And, uh, I was like, Oh my gosh, how, how are we even going to be able to do this mission? And I got to <laughs> tell you, um, you know, we didn't speak Romanian or, or Polish. The, the interpreters didn't speak it. So, you know, we just figured it out. We spent time together and I got to tell you, they were, they were, they were the best, you know, the, the Romanians were, uh, Romanian special forces. A lot of them went to our ranger and special forces school. The, the Polish were an elite, elite unit too. And it was, um, you know, you learn a lot there. It was, uh, it was, um, you know, it was a, it was a good experience, but, um, you know, like anything, you know, you're managing, uh, <laughs> you know, you're just managing so many, uh, you know, so, you know, so, so many issues, uh, you know, obviously trying to get a, you know, uh, a coalition group, mm -hmm. you know, the Afghans to, to kind of say, Hey, here's our target. This is what we got to do. And, and, you know, they did a great job, but of course, you know, we, we move at a little, little faster pace, but we'll just mm -hmm. leave it at that. I wonder what that was like for you personally, you know, going from, you know, working in Haiti and Panama and then, you know, going to the middle East, what was kind of like the, the equipment and the operations differences like, cause I imagine you guys were working with like all kinds of different equipment and the operations were completely planned differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the Ranger regiment, um, you know, for Panama and Panama and Haiti, you know, raid, ambush, recon, airfield seizure, um, you know, target takedown, right? Like direct action. And then, and then, um, you know, Afghanistan, it's, 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 you know, you know, helping a, um, you know, helping an Afghan battalion, you know, fight the enemy mm -hmm. and uh, understanding that like, we got to let them do some of this, right? <laughs> Cause <laughs> part of it's like, okay, we'll just do it. And my boss is like, well, if we just do it, they're never going to do it. Right. Yeah, so we have to learn. kind of, yeah, we have to kind of like, all right guys, let's, you know, <laughs> let's go. Uh, so that was, um, that was good. But I, I, I want to tell you that, you know, I, I, I worked with, um, a lot of the, uh, you know, Afghan sergeants, majors, like my, you know, my counterparts and, and some of them, you know, they, you know, they had one guy had, you know, fought for the Mujahideen. So mm -hmm. this guy had more, this guy had more combat experience than all of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this guy was a gunfighter. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
So that that last deployment to Afghanistan was in 2008, right? Is that what you said? 2008, correct. Yeah. So, so did you do the um, West Point and OCS thing just before that, or was before, that right after? Correct. Yep. No. Ah, okay. Yeah, so at, yeah. So I'm wondering, because um, you can kind of draw some parallels. It, it probably honestly better prepared you a little bit for that, um, just because you know, you go in and you're teaching OCS and you're teaching West Pointers and everything. And it's CS, you're teaching about leadership and everything, but then you're also teaching them all the basics, battle drills, how to, uh, you know, assault an objective or whatever the case may be. So I can imagine you had a a little bit more preparation and having people who are completely new, completely cherry to, you know, some of those tactics and procedures um, and trying to get groups together to, to uh, accomplish a mission. No, that's a, that was great. And I got to tell you, the great thing about, you know, having such a, such a vast time of training officers is that uh, almost a day didn't go by that I didn't run into somebody, you know, West Point grad or OCS grad or some former cadre. So it was great as, you know, as far as that, um, you know, and you, you, cause now they're putting their skills to use and, um, that was part of it, you know, um, you know, cause, uh, at West point, I was in a couple of different assignments there, but one was the, you know, department of military instruction and DMI as it's called and DMI is responsible for all the military training for, for, the, for the cadets. And, and it's great to see that that continued to evolve. Like, uh, I can tell you, you know, we were doing, we were practicing counterinsurgency operations before it became coin before you know they 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 actually had a term for it we were like hey we got to start doing this like these these young men and women uh, you know fighting the enemy's easy but they're going to have to you know they're going to have to know how to <laughs> you know establish a foothold you know in a community mm-hmm. uh where and and gain trust and 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 all that and you know learn traditions and and that's the biggest thing especially uh you know in Afghanistan because it is still it is still you know tribal driven and, uh, you know, you know, we saw it firsthand, you know, you build a school somewhere. Hey, we built your school. Great. Well, the, you didn't ask the mullah. So the next day they burned the school down because <laughs> you yeah. didn't get permission. You yeah. didn't get permission to build a school. You're, <laughs> and you're like, why wouldn't you want kids to go to school? Because he didn't or that sort of thing, you know? So, Jeez. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the intricacies and the things that you learn just from combat and being in other countries is. It's pretty incredible, and um, sure, yeah. I think that that was a point Bo was Bo was making too, with you know deploying to somewhere like Panama or Haiti, and then you know making your way to the Middle East. It's so you always got to adapt to change and adapt to a new environment, mm-hmm. um, and that probably what? is. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, like Panama and Haiti, that you know, when it's strictly direct action, I'm not saying direct action is easier because it's not easier. I mean, it's it has more inherent risks, but mm-hmm. y- you know what you have to do, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> I have to, I have to, I have to take an objective. Okay, great, and you know, uh, you know, I remember even in Panama, like we we moved through, we did something, and then, um, you know, the 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 the, the captain, you know, we we met at this, uh, you know, little ORP, and the captain basically put he put like four rocks on the ground. He was like, okay, we have these four next buildings. You know, you guys take that one. Spizo, you take that one. You take that one. And you take that one. We're going to go in stair-step method. Any any questions? Go. (laughs) It was like, okay. (laughs) And everybody just did it. But it was like, you talk about like just knowing your job and know what you had to do. And, you know, building one went, then building two. And then, and you just, 
and you just continue to, you know, establish that. But I think, um, you know, General Abizade, uh, you know, four-star general, West Point grad, um, you know, speaks fluent Farsi, I think wrote his thesis paper on Middle East uh, operations. You know, he, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a big meeting and all these generals were sitting around and pounding their hands and saying, tanks, we need tanks. This is, um, you know, for, <laughs> for Iraq, you know, and he said, and he said, no, I don't need tanks. I need, I need capable officers on the ground that can not only fight the enemy, but can be, you know, can, can be a school principal, can be, can run an aid station, can, you know, ensure that the police are doing the right jobs, could be a county commissioner. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I, 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 I need a mayor of a block. That's what I need. And, um, and I think what happened is, is that, you know, we, we asked the, the non-special forces officer to pick up those roles. And, and I got to tell you, they did, they did a, did a really good job. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's pretty incredible. And, um, you know, so, all right, you deployed in 2008. So that meeting you talked about earlier, um, when you were at West Point and you were invited yeah. out to meet with, uh, uh, the Rangers staff, when when was that in the timeline and then when did you ultimately make the decision uh when you did transition out of the military that you were going to start up you know what what you're doing now with the leadership consulting and and engagements sure so that was 2005 so then i just i just chipped away at it part-time you know if i could go speak at a conference or something like that i would and then uh you know came back from uh came back from afghanistan and i was assigned it's funny i had like 16 months until i was uh, was going to retire. And so I got, I got assigned to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. Does anybody know where that is? Okay. <laughs> no. well, okay. Uh, it, it's, it's in like the nicest part of New Jersey, believe it or not. It's yeah. beautiful. Fort Monmouth, Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. And, um, I was, I was assigned to garrison headquarters, which at the time, uh, that was a, uh, base realignment, um, uh, base realignment, uh, closure base. So they were closing the base down. So it was a BRAC base. Mm. And so I got assigned to garrison operations and there was like three people in the office, me, these two civilian ladies. And my boss was a GS 13 who was a retired Sergeant major. And I was like, all right, this is going to suck. Right. <laughs> and you know, he's like, he's like, no, this is going to be the best job you've ever had. I said, how's that? He's like, cause you have nobody to take care of, but yourself finish your college workout. He's like, you know, find, discover what you're going to do next. Right. And, yeah. and he, he was right. It was really, really good. And I did all my work. He's like, just get all your work done. He would send me all these meetings and, and I, you know, I, I did all that. And, and, and I was like, okay, I think this is, I, you know, I think I can, I can do this full time. And then I retired in May, 2010, hung up my guns, never went back to him. This is all I've been doing. Mm. So. Wow. That's awesome. And it, yeah. So it's you, scary though. It's, it's, it's not easy, right? Because it's easy to, you know, it's easy to go back and, 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 and doing something that, you know, like go work for mm -hmm. tri triple canopy or go do some contracting job. And there's a lot of those offers out there. Right. And, uh, you know, I said, I said, you know, I stayed steady to what I was going to do. I said, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to continue to learn and grow. And, uh, 
you know, you just, it goes, it goes one client at a time. And, and, and again, if it's one person or it's a thousand people, you, you know, I give you everything. What you see is what you get. I give you a thousand percent every single time. And, uh, you know, that, that's how you do it. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause, uh, you know, I, I, I basically went through the same thing a little bit. You know, I, I left obviously a lot earlier, only after six years, but I was staring at either a almost $60,000 reenlistment contract an offer basically a soft offer from a different company that's similar to triple canopy for 150,000 for a six month deployment or to go to school across the country. And I chose to go to school across the country. (laughs) So, I mean, it worked out in the end for me, but it's, it, it is definitely one of those things that when you're transitioning and you're trying to decide, you know, what's next, it's not an easy decision to make, especially when you've spent so much time, you know, building your craft and getting incredibly good at one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, it's a difficult decision to make for you. And especially if you have a family or, you know, other Mm -hmm. people you're providing for. Mm -hmm. No. And I think that, you know, I, you know, I, I, I had three kids in college, the whole thing, like it was, it's difficult. And that's why I always tell, you know, whether you're an athlete leaving that career, um, you know, athletes do the same thing. You know, they, mm-hmm. you know, they go, they, they're fortunate enough to play at the highest level for, you know, a, a, a decade or so. And then also what do they do? They go be a scout or they go work in the front office or, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, in team operations. And, and some of them are really good at it, but some of them are, are just doing it because they think they can't do anything else. They think they can't do anything else. And I say, what, well, maybe I wanted to go, go do this then go do that. Try it. And I think that's the same thing that I tell veterans all the time. It's like, you know, you don't have to be, and listen, and if you want to go do that, like I have friends, you know, that, that do that. And they've, they've risen through the ranks at, on these, at these, uh, at these contracting jobs and, and these type of defense contracting firms, and they've done a wonderful job for themselves. So I'm not putting it down. Yeah, if that's what you want to do. But uh, I'm saying that I'm saying that it's it's OK. It's OK to try new opportunities like, you know, Hugh Roberts. OK, the Ranger Regimental Sergeant Major. This guy, you know, he left and he did a little bit of contracting. But, you know, what he does now he's a he's a photographer. That's what he does. You know, he he, he shoots photography because that's what he's wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? He's he, he's he's making a living doing it <laughs> like yeah. good for him. <laughs> That's a hard living to do too. Yeah, so, it is. It's a hard living. I've got 14 years experience doing it. It's it's not easy. There you, there you go, Bo. There you go. And speak, going back and speaking about transition, why do you think from your experience, JB, that so many veterans and, and athletes find themselves lost? Like how can they find the right path to success or find their purpose again? Well, I think what happens is, is that they, you just get so locked into doing what you're doing, right? Like, like that's your entire focus, you know, being in the military or being a professional athlete, that that's your life. And so every single day, you know, you're, you're watching what you eat, you're making sure you work out, you're, uh, everything is locked into that. And then what happens is when you get this, this time for expansion, you, you know, we, we, we don't really do it. Like I always try to tell military people and athletes, like, you know, start expanding your horizons now. Now, some people don't like that. Yeah. Like some people don't like mm-hmm. it. You, you know, if 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 the athlete is trying to do something else while he's being an athlete, they think, well, he should just be focused on us, like getting us a championship. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so, yeah, no, no, it goes that way. Same thing in the military, right? Like yeah. he should just, just be focused on Ranger and nothing else. Well, 
you know, someday that's going to end. And I think that you should continue to uh, do great things and you got to find a mentor. So one of my, one of my good friends and my mentor is Kevin Weeks. Kevin Weeks was a NHL player for 15 years. Um, you know, he's a NHL broadcaster, but he's more than that. Like he's an entrepreneur, he's in real estate, he's in fashion, he's in food. Um, you know, he's a part of these investment groups. Like he, he this guy grinds it out. And the wonderful thing about him is like, uh, I just asked him a question earlier today. I had a question about a business opportunity. I said, Hey, what do you think about this? Like he gives you advice. And so the biggest thing, the biggest thing that you can do if you're a business person and the business thing you can do for a veteran is if you see something in them, say something in them, Set, tell them, you know, like Glenn say, they're recognizing me said, Hey, you're pretty good at this. Um, recognize that. And, 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 and if you try something new, it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out, but yeah. give it a go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and Oh, by the way, you might be, you might be pleasantly surprised. Dan, you got a, what do you have? Two master's degrees? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. No, that's awesome. Yeah. He worked his ass off for those. <laughs> no, but it, it, you know, that's, that's the way to do it. You know, I mean, the same thing when I was, when I was, you know, slugging out college there in my final couple of years in the military I said, I'm getting it done. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I mean, you and, sound uh, like a, a yeah. super smart business guy. And I think that there's this idea that I've kind of learned from reading like entrepreneur books or business leadership books that there's this kind of thing out there, especially for younger men that they're reading or they're watching YouTube videos where it's like hustle, hustle, grind your dick off, no fucking sleep, work 14 hour days. Like you don't get days off and you'll get to where you want to be. Do you believe in the work life balance of having that separation or do you believe more on the, the latter of what I just said of kind of working those 12 to 14 hour days, 70 hour, you know, weeks. Uh, if, if, listen, uh, you know, if you don't have a work-life balance, you're not going to have anything in your life and you really have to do it. Listen, mm -hmm. I was one of the ones that was just grinding, 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 yeah. grinding. And, and, you know, you, you know, my, um, you know, my youngest daughter, uh, who's a civil engineer, 26 civil engineer, you know, she, she helped teach me that work-life balance. You have to have mm. it. You got to work. You got to work. You got to work smart. You got to work hard. Yeah. I, I don't like to say smarter, not harder. Cause I still, I, you have to work hard, but you, but you got to work smart. You got to do things, um, to, to, to make yourself ready for what you're doing. You have to prepare, mm -hmm. um, and you have to put that in. But if you just, if you just grind it and you don't have a life next thing, you know, your life's going to be past you and you're going to be like, where'd that go? And yeah. that's what happens. Then, then maybe you, then maybe you'll lose a family or, yeah. uh, you know, things, things, things don't work out. Like, I got to tell you, it's, it's not, um, uh, you, you know, I, 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 I've turned down, I've turned down some big contracts because they weren't right for me. Mm -hmm. And it would have been easy to say, yeah, I'm going to take that contract. It's going to pay me a lot of money, but the organization is not right for me. I'm not right for the organization. Yeah. So, so I think that's important to continue to do that. And it's not that the organization's values were bad. It's not it. It's that my values didn't fit that organization's needs. That, that's kind of like so, what I've been seeing is, yeah. you know, I've been involved in, and, and companies that help teach me a lot about, you know, becoming a man and, and leadership and, and sales. And, um, you know, you're kind of in a position where you're working those 12 hour days. And I remember doing it for 
I think the longest time frame I did was like three or four months in a row with no days off mm -hmm. um, and 12 hour days. And I was just, you know, mm -hmm. you get further along than the next person, but you're right. There was mm -hmm. things that you kind of sacrifice and you miss out on that. Mm -hmm. I look at the little things in life, like you said, like family, you know, reconnecting with friends, being out in nature, mm -hmm. things like that that are so important for your mental health. And I think that it's easy to burn out. But what's interesting is, and I don't know how in touch you are with kind of like what's going on with like these like big YouTube accounts, you know, these big successful business guys that are teaching these videos of, you know, like I said, hustle, hustle, you know, keep working. Like there's no such thing as burnout as long as you love what you do. And I hate to say it, but I'm almost kind of against that whole movement that's going on right now mm -hmm. for these younger kind of 20 year olds that are trying to become, you know, successful entrepreneurs, because I think what you said, there is a work-life balance. It, it, and it has to be that way. And, you know, and, and listen, if you, and if you want to, you know, some of these guys, you know, that sell these, okay, it's like you, programs be the best and shit. you know, the best sales guy, just make 30 calls a day and everything else. Like I, I got to tell you, like in, in my business, here's the thing. Is it like, it, it, it's, it's hard to put a balance sheet to leadership. Mm -hmm. um, everybody knows it's important, yep. but it doesn't come out on the balance sheet. So th listen, there are times that, you know, I keep communications with a client for two, sometimes three years, but once they're my client, like I have them for 10 years, Yeah. you know? So I, I exactly. And, 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 and I just keep, keep connection and eventually it comes around. And if I'm right for somebody, you know, uh, listen, I've been, I've been with a client, I've been with a particular client now for, I'm going on year 11 oh, and wow. literally, but literally it was two, it was almost three years that I just had talks with them. Right. And eventually if you're right and it's right, it comes around and then all of a sudden then they see the success in it. So mm -hmm. exactly like, listen, if you want the sports center moment, da, 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 then I don't know, go sell cars <laughs> or something. And, right? you, and you can't go, force those go, relationships. Go, go sell cars. What's that again? I was saying, and you can't force those relationships. Like being in sales, no. I think the most important thing is, yeah, being a go-getter, but it's all about being authentic to you. You can't, oh you know, gosh. you can't undo bad habits. And that's why I look at like car dealerships. I hate to call anybody who's listening, who works at car dealerships, but there's a lot of reputation yeah. behind car dealerships where you learn bad habits sure. of sales. It's very like hungry and, and it's, it's less authentic. And I think that if you come across it authentically and you are just there to communicate and talk about your product or your business and you're there to help people, but you're not there to force it, I think things come on their own. And I think that I had to learn from that from, you know, when you're in sales, you're kind of like, oh, fuck, I need to sell this person because it's commission only and I need to, you know, keep the lights on in the house. And I think uh -huh. that you stop selling when you start thinking that way. No. And there's, and there's a couple things, you know, and I, and I outlined it in my book, like f first off, you know, your positive spirit equals victory, right? You know, people aren't going to pay, people aren't going to pay me, you know, for leadership training and culture development, team chemistry, you know, mental toughness. If I have a, if I have a terrible attitude yep. and, mm -hmm. and they see, and, and they see my positivity right away and they know it's real. And you, and you already talked about it. You've got to be authentic. I'm a cheerleader. It works for me. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work for you, find what works for you, yeah. right? That's, that's it. And, and, and here's the other one is be happy in other success. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you should, you should be grinding it out. Um, Dan, you'll like, you'll, Dan, you'll like this, 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 I'm going to tell you this little story. So, um, 
a friend of mine, Sergeant Jim Mater, combat veteran, Iraq, Afghanistan, like this guy, you know, wounded in combat, um, uh, 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 truck machine gunner, um, you know, he, he, he was one of the guys in the army that could any, any weapon in the infantry, he knew how to use and he could teach it. Like it was amazing. It didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he just, he, he knew every infantry weapon I was. So, so, uh, one day we went to do, um, uh, we went to do a, a team building event for a college and, uh, after the event, it went really well. We were sitting in some little pub and having a beer and, uh, and the Ranger Hall of Fame list came out. You know how they produce the Hall of Fame list every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, and he says, and we were just going down the list, and a couple of guys I knew. Um, and he said to me, he goes, "Hey, when are you gonna when are you gonna be nominated Ranger Hall of Fame?" And I said, "Listen, I said, uh, there's I, I won't. There's there's plenty of people. I've had a very very wonderful career, but there's people that have done you know, fifteen things uh, that I have. So that's it." And then, and then he, he, you know, he paused, he took a sip of his beer and he said to me, he goes, yeah, but 50 men you trained are going to be on that list. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow. Right. So guess what? If, if that's how I'm known, awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And, 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 and so my point is, is that, is that, you know, you don't have to be nominated to the hall of fame to, to have success. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to have. You know, you don't have to have that, uh, you know, that award to have a success. And, you know, I have plenty of awards, but my point is, is that like, it, it's, it's, it's all part of that, uh, of that process. And when you're happy for others, you know, it comes, it comes back at, at you. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, exactly to that point, uh, there's guys that I've served with that are still serving, you know, that, uh, our first sergeants and, and, um, and uh, command sergeant majors and all across the army. And every time I see that they got promoted or whatever, I'm a huge cheerleader to them. I'm like, that is freaking awesome. Yeah. Like I'm, Great. I'm so excited for them and, and they deserve it. And, uh, it, it's exciting to see the people that you serve with or the people that you've trained find their success. Um, I honestly don't know if I get any other enjoy or I don't get any more enjoyment with, personal development than seeing somebody that I had a direct, you know, mm-hmm. connection with or impact on, mm-hmm. um, that has been successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. And I think those are, I mean, those are the small things that, you know, we do as, is, is, you know, uh, listen, it's servant leadership, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, Dr. Greenleaf, when he, when he, when he coined this and, you know, in the early seventies, you know, the business world called him crazy because he said, it's, it's not everybody else's uh, responsibility to serve the leader, you know, flip the pyramid upside down. It's the leader's responsibility to serve everybody else, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, that was, that, that, that broke away from, you know, traditional corporate America there. And, uh, and, 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 and he said, that's the definition of, of a leader. Um, you know, a friend of mine, very, very successful, um, very, very successful stock trader, mutual funds. He's got about 25 patents. Uh, you know, we just reconnected. He heard me on a podcast. You know, he said, link, he sent me something on LinkedIn. We called and he said, he goes, I don't know if you remember this, which I didn't. He said, but when in basic training, when you were my drill instructor and 
we were taking the army physical fitness test. And back then, you know, it was push up sit-ups, two mile run. And he said, I could max the push-ups, I could max the sit-ups, but he's a big guy. He said, but I was a I was a little, I couldn't quite max the run. He goes, So you chased me around the track <laughs> and you said, and you said, Don't let me catch you. I better not catch you. And and I chased him around the track, and you know, he maxes his run. He said, I like never forgot that. It's <laughs> hilarious. And, and it's hilarious because I could actually see myself doing that back in the day. But, <laughs> but a, a, again, it's, it's, it's what we do for others that, that defines us. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of on that, um, now that you've, you've transitioned and you're working more with, you know, professional athletes, um, especially in the NFL and NHL, like how, what are some stories or are there any stories that you can share of where you've seen that directly and, and where your leadership has had an impact on, you know, on the team or on an individual on a team or, or anything like that? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I, I was part of the Pittsburgh Penguins there when they won their first cup in, uh, well, first cup in, in the 2000, 2009, and, you know, I think I had a small part of that, but I think it, part of that is, is just, is just given the leadership affirmation that they're doing the right thing. And anytime you get around great leaders like Sidney Crosby, um, you know, another great leader, Florida Panthers captain, uh, Alexander Barkoff, mm -hmm. you know, he, he, he still tells me the things that I taught him in rookie camp development camp, just about teamwork and mental toughness. And, 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 and they just kind of take that on themselves and, you know, they just try to be great individuals and people like Crosby, uh, Willie Mitchell, um, uh, Scotty Upshaw, um, you know, Shane O'Brien, these guys, um, they want to be just great people and they want to help others and in any way they can do it. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's part of it. If you can impart people on that saying, yes, you have a craft, you're great at it, but you know, we want to be successful. And again, at the end of the day, winners get jobs hundred percent. I mean, mm -hmm. there's plenty of people, there's plenty of people that, that have played professional sports longer than they should because they've been on a winning team. Why? Because everybody wants a winner. They yeah. want that winning pedigree. They want that winning pedigree. Oh, Oh, this guy won, bring him in. Oh, this guy won, bring him in. Right. Because they want to spread that because, uh, you know, the, and, and, and you both know from business, military sports, uh, the gap between average and elite is very, very small. People think mm -hmm. it's large, but it's not. Yep. It's very, it's a very, very fine line between average and elite. It's, so, yeah, it's oftentimes just a mindset. Um, a lot of people don't realize, you know, it's untapped potential that they don't realize that they have, you know, whether it's leadership or it's a physical ability or it's just that that grit and mental toughness to, mm -hmm. to drive on to be successful. A lot of people don't realize they have it until they get through that breaking point and then they get past, you know, whatever that barrier was. And then they just they find, you know, how how valuable um, they are. Yeah, it's just a mental switch. That's exactly it. And it's, you know, it's part, I mean, you, you, you gotta be great at your craft to be elite number one. So mm -hmm. you have to practice your, your, your craft. Okay. Um, but, but to be elite, you have to turn obstacles into opportunity and you have to be able to do that, you know, for a, 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 a long period of time, you know, um, 
uh, Dan, I love what, you know, General Creighton Abrams said, you know, when, you know, when the, when the Rangers, when the modern day Rangers formed, you know, in the seventies, right. He said, you know, the organization will be uh, filled of, of soldiers that are better with their hands and their weapons than any other. They will be disciplined. And he went on and on. And then he said, if the organization's uh, ever to be comprised of brigands and hooligans, it is to be disbanded. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so important. That's so important in organizations. Like, you, you know, it, 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 it starts with people of character. That's where it starts. Yeah. People are, you know, I've, I've seen this a lot lately too, is, is people are afraid to get rid of toxicity in an organization. And I don't know what it is, why people, you know, want to hold on longer than they do. You know, I, I guess it's a part of your, you've invested so much in somebody you want to try and find any way to make them succeed. Um, whether it's a financial investment in that person, or if it was the, you know, personal investment, but at a certain point, you just gotta realize that it, some people just are not the right fit. And it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying is, you know, you, you found an organization that was, had a great offer for you that you could have taken and, but you just weren't the right person. You weren't the right fit for that organization. And that's a personal decision, but even as a business or an organization, you know, you've got to, you got to identify those, those things within your organization and, and figure out a way, you know, to elevate everybody to be better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I was consulting for another NHL team and um, they had me come in and had me work with one player. They had drafted him third overall and um, and, and they had him for a couple of years. He really wasn't turning the corner. He was super talented, but he just wasn't he, he you know, he just just he wasn't fitting. And they had me come in. I worked with him for a week or so. And at the end, they're like, what do you think? I'm like, he doesn't want to be here. They're like well, what do we do? I'm like, let him go, trade yep. him, let him go. He, he, he doesn't want to be here. They're like, well, we, well, we picked him third overall. I said, okay, you made a mistake. It happens. Like, <laughs> all right. Like, and, and, and I think sometimes that's what, that's what happens is that, you know, especially in pro sports, if you pick a guy in the, in the, in the, in the first round, uh, you know, that, that, that player gets all the opportunities to make the team. If you pick a guy or in the seventh round, that player gets maybe one opportunity <laughs> to make the team, yeah. right? Because it's all part of that. Well, we picked up. Okay. You made a mistake. It happens. Like move on. It's yeah. okay. Like it's, it's, it's not the end. It's not, not the end of the world. Um, and you know, and, 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 and professional hockey is probably more difficult than, than, than football, uh, you know, baseball is difficult too. Cause you're, you're picking, you're picking players at 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them, they're still boys. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. just the way it goes. And, um, and, and part of that is, is your development has to be good. I think, I think, you know, I go back to the Ranger regiment and I said, there, there's no way I would have made it if the development for me wasn't the best. Yeah. Like I, there's no, I mean, sure. I made it through, I made it through rip and I got to the unit, but there's no way I would have been able to climb that ladder unless Sergeant Roberts and, you know, Sergeant Zybus and all the rest of that team, you, you know, developed me. And I think that's, that's a big mistake in a lot of businesses and sports teams. You bring a person in. Okay. He made the cut. He's in have at it, have at it. What? 
<laughs> like yeah. you gotta you gotta continue to mentor and grow and 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 you gotta pull the talent out um it was funny because uh a, a, a friend of mine um big executive um you know in, in his 60s you know made you know made a ton of money being a a, a big sports executive he said he, he I, I said how did you get to a get to this you know a pro franchise he said well he goes, I signed up as an intern. He goes, and, and, and we came into the organization and for the summer, they just treated us all like shit. And the one that survived, they hired. He goes, <laughs> he goes he's like, he goes, he goes, I'm a kid from Boston. No one's running me out, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and that's how it used to be. Like, you know, let's, you know, let's make the interns miserable. Let's see who survives. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and again, and, 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 and again, what do you do? Maybe you weed out the ones that are the most talented. Yeah. <laughs> so, so is the NHL the main pro sport that you've uh, worked with? Uh, main, main pro sport I've worked with is the NHL. Correct. Gotcha. And okay. I've done, I've done some, some NFL, but mostly, mostly NHL. Okay. I've got a total offhand question for you mm-hmm. because you're Italian. What do you think is the best Italian food you've ever had? <laughs> oh, the, the best Italian food I've ever had? Oh yeah. Cause that's Eat my favorite type of food. Par- chicken. Chicken parm all day long. Come on. <laughs> From where though? Chicken parmesan. Oh, there's some, oh, come on. Like there's places in, there's some great places in Pittsburgh. I, I got to tell you, I had some, I had some amazing Italian food. There's an, there's an Italian restaurant here in Las Vegas. It's off the strip, but really? it's been there for 35, 35 years. It's called Ferraro's. Ferraro's Italian restaurant. Hmm. They have the best Italian food in Las Vegas. Interesting. Cause I think most of the places I've had it are typical Jersey, um, you know, New York a little bit. Uh, and I've, you know, you get some of those kind of one-off places randomly enough, like in Los Angeles where you get like an Italian family that lives out there and they kind of start like the mom and pop recipes. But I'm always curious to know like Midwest East coast, what's, you know, some of the best. And then you brought up Vegas and that's, that's pretty interesting. Cause I don't think I've ever, passed through vegas and thought of italian food <laughs> listen listen if, if if you can't get a good meal in las vegas then you don't know what you're doing because mm-hmm. yeah uh the, you know <laughs> some vegas has some vegas has some of the best best food best food you can find so what are you um what are you currently working on now and what are some upcoming things for yourself and your, and your business yeah so continue to work on i'm doing still a lot of virtual sessions waiting to get back in person with some clients um you know, um, got some, got some works in to do some more keynote addresses. Obviously, you know, I love doing keynote, keynote addresses. There's, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, that business is, 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 uh, you know, coming back to, to, to Vegas here a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, you know, that's a, you know, the big part, um, you know, big part of Vegas is, is, you know, all the functions that they have is, as far as, you know, you know, people doing offsites and that sort of thing. So, yep. mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, uh, continue to work on that, doing a lot of one-on-one clients. Uh, that's a big part of my business. I have, uh, two to three private one-on-one clients every single day and then, uh, continue to inspire, motivate small groups, companies, and, uh, chipping away at it every single day. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, uh, kind of interesting. You touched on it a little bit. Um, what was 
you know, what was 2020 like for you, especially with a lot of your things being, you know, in person and, and especially in Vegas, you know, Vegas is such a, a hotbed for people needing to be in person mm-hmm. um, and going to different sporting events or casinos or whatever the case may be, but it's all normally in person. So I, I wonder what that was like. Cause we, me and Bo have both been to Vegas quite a few times because yeah. uh, we were both from Southern California. It's a short trip for us. Mm-hmm. So I could just imagine, you know, what a ghost town it, it might have well, been it was like. like shut down. Yeah, it, it exactly was. It started there for a bit and, you know, coming back just, uh, you know, it's, it, it's coming back now. It, you know, it just it just went to Zooms. It went to, mm-hmm. you know, every everything, everything virtual and you have to continue to find a way to find, you know, touch points with folks. And yeah. um, it, it's it's not perfect. Um, you know, I um, I just did uh, seven zoom sessions for a company over like a, like a 12 day period. And, you know, six of them went pretty well. One had a little bit of technical issues <laughs> and, and, you know, you're going to deal with that. You don't have that. The other thing is, is that, uh, you know, obviously when I'm giving a keynote, like you can feel my energy cause I'm talking to you and you can see me. Yeah. Um, and, and you get some of that over Zoom, but not a lot. So that's the mm-hmm. other thing is that you miss that personal interaction. So you have to continue to find ways of of of, of reaching out and, and getting those touch points, getting feedback from people. All my all my uh, virtual sessions are interactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my in-person sessions are obviously interactive, but all my sessions are interactive because you know at least you're trying to you know draw some feedback and. And then, and then help take the client down the path that they want to go. Yeah. 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 It's a, you know, I probably the worst time to start it, but I did it. But, uh, within my, my, my full-time job, my company, I started a leadership development course and we're a global company. So we have people from all over the place, but I'm the same way. I'm, I'm a in-person person. I have a lot more energy when I'm in front of somebody, uh, and it's all been virtual and, it's so difficult to carry that energy through a microphone and a camera. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like every time I'm getting better and better at it mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's still, it, it's connecting and it's definitely, you know, people are opening up and, and, uh, I feel like becoming stronger leaders, becoming stronger, you know, individuals, um, through my lessons, I hope. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's all we can do right now too, yep. right. Is we got to do this. And, and I got to tell you, we got to get back to, in person i think that yeah uh i think that you know um the the you know the the youth of america these 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 kids in you know grade school high school i mean this is their 9 11 it really is like um you know a friend of mine uh at the gym she was talking about like her three kids and she just came back from vacation with them she's like my kids have been locked in their rooms for a year like doing school and she's like (laughs) it's it's, uh, you know, it, it's ridiculous. Like we, you know, we gotta, we gotta find ways. Listen, the pandemic is awful and it's a, you know, it's a shame that we, we've lost so many folks, but we got to find a way to, you know, we gotta, we gotta get back to, we gotta get back to life and business here. And, yeah. uh, you know, so. I think that uh, personally, and you know, loss of life is obviously a, a huge tragedy and, mm-hmm. and should never take, be taken light lightly. But I think the tragedy that's going to be carried and have the the longest lasting effects is going to be the kids that were not able to go to school or still not able to go to school just because they're losing all that social interaction that ability to connect with people and and have a conversation and go on dates and you know Mm -hmm. talk to their teachers or you know whatever the case may be it's all of that is lost and so lost 
it, like I don't know what the future looks like for them. You know, I have nieces and nephews that are all in school and I talk to my sisters all the time about, you know, the struggles that they're going through. And it's just, I don't know. I feel terrible for every parent that's had to deal with, you know, their kid not being in school the last year and a half. Yep. And, uh, I feel terrible for the kids that aren't able to be in, in person and, uh, hundred percent. And that, and that, and that's the tragedy, you know, and, and these kids are on the, you know, the, the phone, the black mirror, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it too much anyway. And now we're, and now we're taking that away from him. And it was like, so funny because like, you know, he had all these rules and my one friend, his son plays, plays football. Well, they couldn't play football in Nevada, but they could drive an hour to Arizona and play. Oh yeah. So, yep. so I, see, it's just like, you know, um, Dan, you know, the old story, right? Like big army will find ways, find ways of screwing something up. Right? <laughs> like, yep. And it's the same thing here. So, oh, they couldn't play football in Nevada. So they just drove to Arizona to play football. Well, the, the, like the, really? Yeah. The sad because... thing is, is I just think that like, we're all, <laughs> we're, we're meant to be a, a physical species. Like we're meant to be up close to one another and have that eye contact and be touching each other and interacting with one another. And now when you take that away, it's almost like you said, like the kids are already in today's generation kind of hooked on technology of the future, their phones. Mm -hmm. And, and then you add that element into it. And it's almost like we're just Mm -hmm. losing that, that connection with human beings. And it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a lack of faith that that's where we're going, but that's just kind of like what it's been. And it's really sad to see yeah. that separation with us as human beings. Well, and you just see, uh, and I'm going to just tell you one more thing and we'll get off this. And one more thing I saw ridiculous. So yesterday I went on a trail run. I'm running on the trail, okay, through the mountains, wide open space. And a lady runs by me and she's got a mask on her face. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm just like, lady, like the wind's blowing. You're out on a trail in, in Nevada. I'm like. Kind of hard to breathe. You're not catching. You're not catching COVID <laughs> out here. Like seriously, that's like the like, ones that wear it in the you, car. Yeah, and then, well, you got you got a you got a better chance of getting bit by a rattlesnake out here than you do getting COVID. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's enough of my rage. Oh, All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much for everything. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I don't know if you can say this, but I, I would be interested. How long have you been in in Vegas now? I've been to Vegas uh, two and a half years. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I guess that was just after the Vegas Nights started up. Have you had? Have you after it? Yeah. So, did you have? I don't. Again, I don't know if you can say this, but have you had interactions with them? And have you have you worked with that team at all? I have not worked with that team. I know. I know a lot of the players on the team. Um, You know, I know the team president as well too. They have a great organization. It's run very well. Mm -hmm. They've done. They've done a lot of things early on to try to, um, uh, you know, bring their uh, bring their fan base in. And I want to tell you, like the, the the fan base here is crazy. They love hockey. They, they might not know it, they might not understand it, but they love it. It's hilarious. Uh, but they are. Uh, first off, I've been to. Uh, let's see. I've been to almost every NHL rink. Almost there. I think I'm missing one. I think there was one rink I didn't get to in my in my days uh, working in NHL. I think there might be one. And, and I got to tell you, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights—they put it on like it, it looks like a it, it looks like a 
a, a show. It's a yep. Cirque show. It's amazing. <laughs> now you're in it's Vegas. Such a great job. It's Vegas. Yeah. And 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 here's the other thing they did. You know, they've you know they bought their youth hockey organization. They you know they renamed it Vegas Golden Knights. And now of course they got their AHL team here, the Silver Knights. Mm-hmm. And um, you know they're they're all in. You know Bill Foley, who's the uh, owner of the team. You know he's a West Point graduate. Now he commissioned in the Air Force, but he's a 19. 66 West West Point wow. graduate. Mm. And so yeah, listen, he they've they've done a great job and uh you should see I mean they're good. They're they 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 got a really good chance of winning the Stanley Cup this year. So Yeah, that stadium well, I mean, is fr- crazy too when you drive by it like yeah. seeing the outside, you know, just add uh add a cigar bar, a strip club and a casino and uh <laughs> you're all there. Brilliant. And yeah. they put it on the strip which is brilliant. They yeah. put it on the strip which is brilliant. And then of course, you know, the they got the Death Star across the street there, uh, yep. the Raiders Stadium, Allegiant Stadium, Death Star, <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> two. Bu- you want to see what two billion dollars got? Go take a tour of that thing. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're like, holy cow! This is what two billion dollars looks like. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah. Listen, I, it's it it's um, you know, it's funny because like my military buddies are like, oh, you live in Vegas. They, you know, they think I live at like the Hard Rock Hotel. I'm like, no, I live in the, I live in a normal town in a, like a normal neighborhood. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, you know, 15, minutes from, 15 minutes from the strip. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's perfect. <laughs> most people that have never been don't uh, expect Vegas to be like that. But yeah. it is literally a pop-up in the middle of the desert. And there's maybe yeah. a few roads where it's all entertainment. And then anywhere mostly north or east uh, or right. depending on the direction you're headed in Vegas is all just homes and residential. Right. It's great. It's, yeah. it's been, it's been, it's been good. It's been a great opportunity. I never thought I've, uh, I never thought that, uh, you know, I, I would be here and, uh, it's been, been, been a good opportunity and, um, I'm thankful. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, you know, we, we touched on your book a little bit and I, I do want to hear some more about it. Um, can you can you explain a little bit more about your book and kind of what inspired you to write it and and kind of some of the themes that you've you've uh, trickled in there? Sure. So you know, um, f- for about ten years, I've been writing notes about a book, and uh, you know, uh, again, I didn't know I didn't know where to go, how to do it. And a friend of mine, Steve Schwab, a wonderful business owner, um, he was in the Ranger Regiment with me. He's now doing very well for himself. Owns his own company. He's written three or four books. And I called him. I said, Steve, how do I do this? He's like, oh, hang on. You got to call my editor. And he, <laughs> he put me on He put me on with this uh, lady, Karen Cantrell. And and there you have it. My book started 350 pages. And we whittled it down to 136. And we <laughs> wanted to make it a two-hour two read. And it's for anybody in leadership can read it, but Mm -hmm. you know, I wrote it, I wrote it for the emerging leaders Mm -hmm. and um, you know, and it it talks a little bit about my journey and there's nothing classified in it or anything like that. But I just talk about, you know, finding your own leadership style, you know, Mm -hmm. believing in yourself, um, uh, engaging every role from warrior to diplomat, you know, leaders must be adaptable, uh, how you must coach and inspire and mentor people, uh, group dynamics, team chemistry, and it's, um, you know, transformation and, and, and it's short chapters. And at the end of each chapter is a, uh, there's three takeaways. So there's something that you can, you can tab, you could say, well, that's pretty good. I'll go back to that. Um, and, and, 
and that's what I, that's, that, that was the thought process there. And it's been good. It's been, you know, it's been, it's been selling. It's a great calling card. People love it. Uh, it doesn't overwhelm me. It's not theory. And, uh, it gives people great, um, just, a just great nuggets to help you on your performance. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier is, is when you can draw from personal experience and, and things that you've learned along the way, you know, it has that authentic tone behind it and people connect a lot more to that than, like you said, than just the, I guess the more science-based leadership books. Um, and what's really cool is I, I'm, first of all, I'm grateful and, and honored and thank you for sending us a book, but it's perfect timing because I'm actually in the middle of a challenge where I need to read one book a week. So this is perfect timing for me. Good, good, good. And that's why, you know, it, listen, we did it so you could read it. It's a two hour read. Um, you, you know, if you buy it for an airplane, something like that. And uh, I, I just I'm, I'm, I'm happy the way it came out. And so the little funny story is um, w- when you get the book, you'll see, you know, has a photo of me on the back. And uh, actually, my friend, you know, Hugh Roberts, the former Ranger Regimental S- Sergeant Major, he, he took that photo. Now, mm. I had I had I had professional photos done, too. I mean, he's a professional, but he's still, you know, kind of up and coming. And, and when I sent all the photo shots in, uh, to my editor, she's like, Oh my God, I like that one the best. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So we, so we gave, we gave old, uh, Sergeant major Roberts, some kudos word in the book, but it was, it was awesome. So, Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. No, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we're in the process of, of writing this book and putting it together sure. and it's, and it's much more of a photo book and it is much more about the, uh, you know, the individual story and, and the story, not necessarily about the combat, but the transition. But what's really cool, um, is the, why I think this book will resonate so much with so many different people, not just veterans. Um, but is there's those little nuggets of authentic stories mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of experiences that, you know, each of these veterans have had and life lessons that they are transferring to somebody else that, you know, the reader will pick up on them. And hopefully, you know, one of them, one of them or a few of them will resonate with the person who's reading it. Um, and it'll carry forward with them. So uh, I'm really excited about that aspect of our book. Um, and it's really cool to hear that, you know, that's the take you took as well. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do, you know, yeah. uh, um, y- y- listen, and, 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 both of you know this, like not everything's a firefight, right? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's okay to have books like that and everything's a firefight, but this book isn't it. Um, this book, you know, this book book is to, is to help you, uh, help you on your journey. Like I have a chapter here about, you, you know, the power of the handwritten thank you. And, um, you know, I still have, um, uh, I, I have a, I have a thank you note. I think it was from 1994. I was in first range of retirement. And, um, we were doing a nighttime exercise mission and I was a jump master and, um, some things weren't going quite right, everything else. And I kind of settled everybody down and we jumped in the, in the, in the, in the battalion commander was on my plane and, you know, he wrote me this handwritten, thank you. He was like, you know, outstanding job as a jump master, da, 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 the whole thing. And I still have that, right. Yeah. It's like. you know, we can send somebody a text message. You can send somebody an email, you can give somebody a phone call, but you know, I really try. um, uh, I really try to reconnect with, you know, uh, a new person a month or somebody I haven't connected to and the power of the handwritten. Thank you. 
Um, mm. Write somebody a little note. Hey, thanks. Appreciate you. Uh, just, just reaching out. Um, there's just so much into that. But how, how powerful is that though? Like I've been, I've always believed in the handwritten thank you. And, and especially for, you know, others that are listening to this that are in business or in sales, I think that that once that extra step of handwriting a thank you card or a letter yep. and, and sending that to your client, um, yep. it's just huge because you never know how much it's going to impact them to see that handwritten note that is so far out of touch nowadays where people can just draft up an email or, you know, like you said, send a text message. So it's kind of cool to hear yeah. from you that you're doing the same thing. Well, I, and, and, you know, my dad taught me that and he was, he was wonderful at it. And, um, you know, I, I had picked it up early in life and I've continued on. I remember, uh, I was in Minnesota a few years ago. Um, and I went to see a client and I, I probably hadn't seen this client for five years and I went in and the same guy, you know, was there and I started talking to him and on the back of his, his desk was a, this, uh, James Dietz. Uh, card mm -hmm. and it was my handwritten thank you. I knew it was it was for me because you know I bought these James Dietz cards. You know had a World War II battle scene on it, something mm -hmm. like that. And and he still had it on his desk. Wow. And, and, and so you know these are these are all things when you do these do these do these for people like that 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 little touch point because it's an extra step that you have to do and it really shows you know, your caring, your, your consideration, and, mm -hmm. you know, should really, really, you should really, really make time for that. It makes you a force multiplier. It really does. Yeah. Well, JB, I want to wrap up here soon with okay. the last couple questions, but one being, what would be the, your, your main stereotype that you would like to see a change in the veteran community? Uh, that, <laughs> that everybody has PTSD and they're crazy. Okay. Yeah, that's the first that's true. thing. Um, and, and here, and I'll, I'll just talk briefly about this. Look, combat changes everybody. Okay. It really does. I don't care if you're, if you're a gunfighter, um, uh, or, you know, you're working in, you're working in the tactical operations center, pushing papers or whatever you're doing. Combat changes everybody. Yeah. Um, but veterans aren't crazy. I mean, if they're crazy veterans, they probably came in crazy. Okay. Um, and, 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 and they're, they're wonderful human beings. The other stereotype is that a veteran can only accomplish so much mm -hmm. wrong. Um, you, I, I tell the story often, but you know, I was able to speak at this, uh, invite only, uh, dinner before the Super Bowl a few years ago, me and, and, uh, Ben Harrow, Cap, Captain Ben Harrow. And if you don't know his story, you should look him up. He's amazing. Hmm. Special Forces Captain, West Point graduate. Um, but so we spoke. And then at the end, um, somebody said, hey, what, you know, what, I, I want to give money to, what fund, what fund do you recommend? Wounded Warrior or Gallant Few or, or, and I said, listen, do your research. Yes, you should absolutely uh, give money to a fund. However, if you want to help a veteran, find a veteran bring that veteran in your organization and make it and help them be successful. And this guy goes, well, I, I'm going to, I'm an attorney. I have a law firm. I'm like, and find a veteran, send them to law school. Mm -hmm. And this guy, and this guy did it. <laughs> and I, and, and I said, how's it going? He goes, Oh my God, she's the best lawyer we've ever had. I said, what I tell you. That's so, awesome. No, that's true. Um, so, so those are, so those are two right there that I, I think that, you know, we get kind of put into this, uh, you know, we get put into this 
you know, little box kind of unfairly. I, I think at times, listen, veterans are capable. Uh, they're, 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 they're agile. They're intelligent. They don't care who gets the credit. They want to help you win. <laughs> bring them up, bring them in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but along that same line, um, but on the other side of the coin, you know, what would you, what, do, what have you said, or what would you say to veterans that are about to transition, especially people who have, you know, that leadership experience and, and just don't know, I guess, how to get in with the right business or mm-hmm. where to market themselves or where to network, you know, what would your, your advice to them to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put on a suit and tie and, and, and go in and say, hello, go, you know, go meet, go meet the SVP, go meet, you know, go meet the GM, go meet somebody, shake hands, you know, show them who you are. And, um, and, 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 and usually right away, uh, that, that sense of leadership, selfless service, team, teamwork, it, it, it comes, it comes right out. Uh, don't, don't, don't sell yourself short. Here's the other thing is that like, and, and if you're not sure, like call somebody and ask, you know, if you're not sure, like, okay, they want to offer me a job and this is what they want to pay me. Well, you should counter with this. So like you should, you know, get, find experienced people and, and, and have them, have them help you. Uh, I got a good friend, um, yeah, self-made millionaire, big insurance guy, Jim Edgeworth, uh, from Houston. He does, he does, uh, you know, Lloyd's of London player insurance, team insurance, that sort of thing. And if I have a question about a business opportunity and, and, and what I think it, it, what price I should put to it, I call him. And you, you know, you get, you get some sound advice from people to, that have been doing that. And, um, uh, you, you, veterans are, the veterans just do it. They, they, they want to help. They want to make you better. Mm-hmm. So give them an opportunity to do that. That's what I think we, we talk about quite a bit on here too, is that, you know, I think that the general, you know, society in the civilian workforce has a missed kind of understanding where, you know, they think that veterans are going to either be a bad fit for their company, but they don't truly understand the veteran as a whole. And I think that the veteran can bring a lot of experience and a lot of expertise and leadership skills to that business or that corporation. And so I just think that there's a lot of important factors that they can help attribute to that. And, um, that's like you said, you know, just by hiring one to being a part of that, I think is, is massive. And that's how you help. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we say it in the closing of our book. Um, it's a perfect line along these, these veins that we were talking about is, Above, above all else, I, I feel every veteran is a leader at a different level, whether it's you sure. know, a junior leader or a senior leader. Um, every veteran has been trained to be a leader at some level. And yep. so you should bring, you know, look at bringing in leaders into your organization to, you know, to, to bring more success or to find success for your organization, you know, build teams, whatever the case may be. And, and uh, yeah, I think it, it can be incredibly powerful. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Well, JB, I want to thank you for you thank know you, you guys, guys reaching out and 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 wanting to get in touch with us and wanting to be a part of this podcast. I think it's huge that you know we want to try and get as many veterans on here as possible to share their voice and share their story. And I think that it's so motivating for other veterans and even civilians to hear this message. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing a bit of your advice in the business and in some of your experiences of not only being a ranger and deploying multiple times and working with the NHL and much more. 
Well, thank you so much. And if somebody wants to reach out, uh, send me a, you can send me a DM on Instagram at, at JBSpiso uh, or go to my website, jbsleaders.com. Hope you pick up a copy of my book, Warrior Leadership, Steps to Success for Leaders on the Ground. And gentlemen, you both are you both are heroes and warriors, and I appreciate you having me, and I'm humbled at the opportunity. So thank you so much. Anything I could do for you, and I know your book's going to be so successful, and I, I can't wait to... I can't wait to read it. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for everything. Yeah, we'll talk to you here soon, brother. Talk to you soon.